Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and European football expert Kevin Hatchard. We've got so much to get through on the show today, so let's get stuck into it. Hello, gentlemen. Another interesting week of Premier League football. Hope you both very, very well. Um, I'm going to ask you this question in about 15 minutes. Is David Moyes saying what everyone is thinking? Keep that in your back pocket for a minute. Um, first of all, uh, Kevin, hello. You all right? You had a good week? Yeah, really good. Really good. Uh, I only had one Bundesliga game this week because my game on Friday was iced off, would you believe? Uh, but yes. And in my second game, the second half didn't start for 45 minutes because there was a banner in front of one of the exit ways. So I had to do the entire halftime break, which was about an hour. Uh, just, just me. Uh, just kind of guiding people through events. So it was quite a challenge. Testing. I like that. We'll talk about banners in just a moment, actually. Uh, But before we get to the banners that were unfurled at the Emirates Stadium, um, shall we talk a little bit about Newcastle United, profit and sustainability, and the the sort of whole sort of, uh, I don't know, cloak of of, of ambiguity that goes along with it. Um, Crook is here, and he is a transfer well, I heard God the other day, but I think that's probably a bit too much. Uh, I'm going to stick with Guru, if you don't mind. Um, Newcastle have got some big decisions to make over the next 14 days, haven't they? Yeah, I think they have. Um, I think it's a really fascinating situation involving Kieran Trippier. Some people are telling us that Trippier doesn't leave Newcastle at any price this window. I'm not entirely convinced by that. I know that he is attracted by the prospect of going to join a, a juggernaut like Bayern Munich. And I think if the figures add up, then Newcastle, having already signed his long-term replacement in Tino Livramento, would be tempted. I think Callum Wilson probably stays now, but the fact that Atletico Madrid even tested the water suggests to me that clubs, not just in the Premier League, but around Europe, are aware that Newcastle are treading this dangerous line when it comes to profit and sustainability. And that basically everybody has their price. So it's going to be a really interesting end to the winter at St James's Park. How concerning is this, do you think, Kevin, that we're in a situation where a club that have made a move from being a relegation candidate, a perennial struggler, have come into the Champions League, they've elevated themselves so far, so quickly, and one of the flag bearers for that change, their leader, is subject of a possible transfer 
because and solely because not because they want to sell him not because they want to cash in on him not because they want to use the money for developmental reasons to, to kick them on even further but they are almost forced into this situation because of these rules isn't this a pure example of what we were saying the other week which is the drawbridge being pulled up behind those who already have cash look it's not a perfect system but Clubs have to grow slowly, and that's frustrating, and I can understand why it's frustrating. But what they're trying to do is have a situation where, yes, okay, a club comes into money, as Newcastle have, um, but if you grow, you grow in a sustainable way. Now, I understand why fans would say this isn't fair, but if you look at Manchester City, they had to do exactly the same thing, more or less. They had their period where they signed kind of mid-level players, if you like, and they grew. Newcastle, through excellent coaching, have grown more quickly than perhaps we thought they would because they're in the Champions League ahead of schedule. And so it looks as though they're being held back. But I can understand why, until you've got those sponsorship deals in place, and of course they have to be looked at very carefully, like deals with any club have to be looked at very carefully, um, until they're in place and until that extra level of revenue is generated, you can't allow them to spend wildly so i get why it's frustrating but i get why the rules are in place Hmm. um let's go back to these cloudy rules because a lot of the everton supporters and the nottingham forest supporters i the everton supporters i i feel sort of feel as if it's them who are being punished when it should be those who have been badly running the club um and I think they feel the sort of burden on that. And they know that if they end up getting relegated, there's every chance that they could they could end up being in for a long period of suffering. Uh, and no one wants that to happen. And I understand their frustrations on that. One of the common complaints that I hear about profit and sustainability rules is that um, we don't know what the punishment's going to be. We've got no idea. There's a sort of cloudiness and ambigu- ambiguity about the process Well, it's interesting because we found out last week that that is not true. There is a clear and very well-publicised time frame that all the clubs are well aware of, right? So although the fans groups might be upset about it, a reason I think the clubs are are sort of maybe not getting as much on their high horse about the process is because they signed up to this, right? All 20 clubs. The Premier League isn't 10 men in suits who are trying to have a go at certain clubs. I don't agree with the rules, right? I don't think they're right. I think they are. I think they restrain uh, clubs of a certain size from becoming clubs of a bigger size. That's just my view. We all can differ on it, and we can all have different uh, feelings about whether or not they're they're a good thing or not. I'm concerned they're going to kill the Premier League over the course of the next ten years. But anyway, that's a different debate. The truth is, is that all the clubs signed up for this system okay so they put their name to it. the premier league are the clubs it's not men in suits it's the clubs who sit there and tick off at an agm the rules the the time frame is set in stone so we you know the the idea that the uh, there could be a decision made on a relegation after the end of the season is a possibility but it's already in the statute book and also this idea of this ambiguous system is, is, is because the Premier League clubs wanted it. They were offered in June 2020 at an AGM of the, of, of, of the Premier League the opportunity to have a menu of potential sanctions and fixed penalties for FFP or PSR uh, breaches. 
and they said they didn't. They didn't want it because it, it would mean that it takes away the possibility of mitigation and independent panels to make a, a, a decision based on circumstance. And it also would act as a deterrent if they didn't know the, the, um, the punishment to all the clubs that they wouldn't then want to breach the rules because they wouldn't know what was coming next. Have sort of has that been publicised enough? I don't think it has. Do you? No, I, I don't think it has. Um, and actually, I think we need the the clarity um, that you've just provided in order to to silence some of the fans' protests. Obviously, we've seen it in particular with Everton and those banners accusing the Premier League of being corrupt. I think there's also a, a misconception that Everton and Forest are being harshly treated, bearing in mind that Manchester City's charges are yet to come to fruition. But obviously, the, the two cases need to be treated in isolation. There's a lot more paperwork to go through when it comes to Manchester City. Clearly, it's easier to rule on one charge and to hear that appeal than it is on 115 charges. So I think there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of cloak and dagger when it comes to this. But the big point you've made already is that some football fans believe that the Premier League are, are a separate entity to the clubs and they're not. Basically, you have 20 clubs in the Premier League. In order to pass any resolution, uh, you need to get a, a vote of uh, 14 or more for that to go through. So th these are the rules that they voted for. They need to make sure that they stay on the right side of them. The only sympathy I have with Everton, there is a little bit of a grey area when it comes to um, payments for stadium work, they're not counted yeah. under profit and sustainability, but the interest payments that Everton have paid in terms of money they've borrowed to help fund their new stadium, they have been counted. And I think Everton will argue that wasn't really made clear to them, but it'll be interesting to see if the appeals panel agree with them. I've got loads of sympathy with the, the, the fans because I think the clubs are quite happy to make them feel that it's all to do with these these people in the background that want to punish yeah. us badly, when actually they're just trying to distract from the fact that they messed up, that they didn't enforce their own rules that they signed up for. That's that's what I think we need to get across. It is their fault. So if it's their fault for signing up to it in the first place. It's their fault for overspending. It's Mashiri's problem and uh, Evangelos Maradakis's problem for, for, for employing directors of football and managers and then having budgets and then not sticking to them. Well, you look at the Everton situation. I find the Everton fans approach quite interesting. I hear a lot from Everton fans and see a lot on social media about how they protested against Mashiri while this spending was going on. And that's mm. absolutely true. You know, yeah. Everton fans didn't just sit idly by and go, oh, I'm sure this will be absolutely fine. They were very vocal about it. But then you can't then turn around and say, well, the Premier League's corrupt. They're being really, well, no, <laughs> you knew this was coming down the track. It's not your fault. Everton fans, it's not your fault, but this is the way it's gone. And ultimately, the punishment always lands at the feet of the fans because that's mm. the way it works. But you have to punish someone and you have to punish the clubs and therefore the fans suffer as a result of that. But you can't just have carte blanche because what you get then is you get people who have lots of money initially, spend it all, and when it's all gone, then you're up the creek. So... You know, the Newcastle thing I understand, but what if the PAF saw something shinier and went, oh, we'll put our money into that? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but what if it did happen and suddenly Newcastle have got all these wages, all this spending, all this debt, and suddenly the PAF aren't there to hold their hand? So 
you have to have a situation where if a club's going to grow, it grows level by level. But you're absolutely right. Not enough fans know who's making these rules, who's signing off on these rules. I think they are eminently sensible. I wish we'd had them a lot longer in the past. I, I wish they'd been in place years and years and years ago because I think now there's too much inequality and the market's too superheated. I mm. wish we'd had this in place. I think it's a good thing we do have it in place. Yes, it can be tweaked. Yes, it can be fixed. But the overall idea of it is the right idea. I think maybe it would have been better if it had happened earlier because then there wouldn't have been the disparity and therefore the cost of getting uh, or being able to bridge the gap wouldn't have been so high yeah. and therefore it wouldn't have felt like there is even less chance for a, for a club that isn't in the top six to get into that position, which I feel is unfair. I don't blame the fans at all because I think the clubs are trying to hide the fact that they were all the ones that signed up for the decisions. And I also think as well, the Premier League are quite happy to be in a situation where they, you know, not quite happy, that's probably wrong. I think the Premier League are in a situation where they probably should have clarified with a little bit more sort of gusto the situation involving Manchester City. Because just because you don't talk about it, and we know why they're not talking about it, because they're wrapped up in legalese, you find yourself in a situation where you you encourage speculation, really, I suppose. And because of that, it sort of breeds its its own life. And people think, oh, you know, well, they haven't changed Manchester City, when they should have done. There's reasons for that, but the Premier League haven't been clear enough about it and haven't explained why that is the case. And because they haven't done that, it, it adds to the suspicion of a problem. So I think there's loads of other stuff around it. But the fact is, is that the clubs made the rules, the clubs signed up to the rules, the clubs didn't play by the rules once that happens you're going to find yourself in problems anyway we should move on from profit and sustainability because although it is the, the thing is, is it sounds a bit boring to talk about it but i think it's really important i think it's really important because i think there's going to be a situation at the end of the season where we are going to be going are they relegated are they going into europe is that going to be is that right i don't know so i i, I think the other problem I'm worried about is the, the killing of the Premier League over time, but that's a different debate for a different day. Let's go into the actual games from the weekend and start off at the Emirates Stadium, which saw Arsenal get back to winning ways. Corner kick to be taken over on the far side. It'll be whipped in uh, towards the uh, six-yard box, and there's Gabriel rising, heading down, and the goalkeeper completely misses it. It goes in at the near post, a very similar goal to the one he scored up at Anfield, and Arsenal are off and running. Arsenal have scored more goals from corners than any other team in the Premier League this season, and uh, looking to set another one up here. Left-footed from Saka. It's right under the goalkeeper, and he's smothered it at the far post by Gabriel again. Raya grabs it, steams forward, and brilliantly bowls it out towards the far side. Jesus finding Trossard, edge of the penalty here, comes inside, right-footed, it's over now. Slams it down the middle of the goal, and finally the Gunners' shots are doing some damage, and it's Arsenal 3, Crystal Palace nil. Here is... Uh, Enketia down the left into the path of Martinelli who can finish it here and he does right footed into the bottom corner. Gabriel Martinelli off the bench to score a fourth goal for Arsenal. They've left space for Martinelli again and he's racing through to score a second goal. It's Martinelli, it's 5-0. Crystal Palace collapse in stoppage time and Gabriel Martinelli scores twice in that period and it's Arsenal 5 Crystal Palace nil.
Well, they went away to the sunshine coast of Dubai to make sure that their skin was bronzed, their bodies relaxed, and they were all stretched and ready for the back end of the season. And Arsenal came back, not with swashbuckling football cutting Crystal Palace to shreds, but two great set pieces. Um, they've now scored a huge 12 goals from set pieces so far this season. Arsenal, Nicolas Jover is the uh, set piece coach, formerly of Manchester City, bought to Arsenal in 2021 uh, by uh, Sir Mikel Arteta. And Kev, we thought we would let you have your say on him because, well, he is German. I think the interesting thing here is that if you think of him, if you think of Giovanni Vio, if you think of these, these are guys that we wouldn't have talked about before. But I think now it's so important to have these things done to such detail. I mean, you look at the blocking that took place on Saturday. You look at the job that Trossard did, for example, on Joachim Anderson. These are kind of NFL-style plays that are being called. It's not yeah. any longer about just whacking the ball in the box and hoping you've got a good delivery. You know, you're blocking guys off, really smart runs. And, you know, guys like that are worth so much because – Coaches have said this forever. So many goals are scored and conceded at dead ball situations. It's actually negligent and crazy to not do this level of detail. So it's great that set-piece coaches like Uver and, and Vio in the past are being given this spotlight. Absolutely. You know, when Liverpool hired a throwing coach, mm. ex-players were doing their nut, going, oh, this is crazy. Why would you do this? You, we didn't need this in our day. Yeah, mate, the game's moved on. <laughs> and it's right that it's moved on. Every single thing is being watched. The stats are being watched. Everything's being you know, examined in minute detail. You better move with the times, mate, or you're going to get left behind. So all of this waffle about, oh, you don't need the throwing coach. You don't need this. You don't need that. You'll get left in the dust because this is what clubs are doing, smart clubs who are forward thinking. So it might seem ridiculous, but it absolutely has an impact. And you look at the goals Arsenal scored on Saturday, but have scored all the way through the season. And Mikel Arteta was a pains to stress in seasons gone by as well. It makes a massive difference. A lot of the best teams in Europe are brilliant at set pieces. It's not an accident. They've also got this brilliant uh, throw-in routine, which is particularly uh, impressive as well. Um, Should we talk about Crystal Palace, though? The coordinated protests um, that we saw during the game, claiming the board were weak and making decisions that are taking them backwards. Um, I suppose there's two ways to look at it. You can cite Charlton fans who were restless because finishing 10th in the Premier League became a little bit boring and say, be careful what you wish for, which I imagine is what Steve Parrish is going to say and what those who sort of understand more of the sort of financial side of the business are going to say, be pragmatic. Or you can say, this is our 11th season in the Premier League. Shouldn't we have more of an ambitious plan when compared to someone like Brentford, Brighton, other clubs that have have at least flirted with a top 10 charge or or maybe even a, gone to a cup semi-final or even a cup final? Um I don't know. It seems a little bit workmanlike and hoping that you get enough points just to stay in the division and that's okay for Crystal Palace. And the appointment of Roy Hodgson, I think, sort of is an emblem of that. Alex? I don't know if it was a Freudian slip or a deliberate dig from your perspective, but the fact you've mentioned Brighton, historically their arch rivals, you know, they're much more upwardly mobile, they're much more ambitious, they're much better run. I would argue, than than Crystal Palace. And I think the appointment of Roy Hodgson, as you say, is sort of emblematic 
of that that lack of desire to really kick on because with the greatest respect in the world to Roy, he's had a fantastic career. As he points out himself, he's got a brilliant CV, but he should be retired by now. And the, the players know that. And I think it's always difficult when you're in a dressing room and you know the manager's only going to be there until the end of the season subconsciously. I think that does seep into your performances. And I just don't know what the plan is for Crystal Palace. They've been crying out for money to be spent on a centre-forward for a number of years now. They were too reliant on Wilf Zahar all the time. They didn't have a proper number nine. They still haven't got a proper number nine. Zaha's gone. They've got Elise and Ezer, who are sort of really the only two players who are keeping their heads above that bottom line. They've still got Joel Ward, their record appearance holder, being trotted out at fullback when maybe his best days are behind him. So I can understand the, the Palace fans' frustrations and the American investors' frustrations as well because there's big issues behind the scenes. Kev, um, I got a lot of respect for Roy Hodgson and what he's done in, in the in the world of football. He's had a brilliant career. And you go back, you know, he took Switzerland to the, the World Cup for the first time in 1994 yeah. or the first time in a very long time in 1994 after a huge absence. And they, they, were, they, they love him there. They love him at Inter Milan. They love him in Sweden where he made his name initially, went and coached there in the early 80s. Um, he did. He did. He did a good, did a brilliant job at the Baggies. He did a brilliant job at Fulham as well. And you know, he had England issues, but you know, maybe it was to do with the players as well during that time. However, however, they could have let him go off into the sunset in the summer, right? And they didn't because he did a really good job at the end of last season. They decided to bring him back for one more year, and I think that's ruining ruining his reputation at Crystal Palace. I think it's causing grief. I don't think. He really likes doing the job like he used to. I know he'll say, and listen, he's he, he can speak for himself. And we had a bit of a ding dong at the weekend, but the idea of, the, of of doing things like speaking to me, speaking to other interviewers, speaking in press conference, he doesn't want to do. He's not interested, and it comes across. The issue you've got with that is that one, that's not really the way to conduct yourself. I know you you know, you deserve respect because he's older and whatever, and he's, he's got a lot of experience behind him. But that doesn't mean that you can, one, treat people with contempt, two, not take your role as an ambassador for the club seriously. He's already had a couple of situations where he's bumped into problems with fans because he said things that are out of turn. Yeah. And he he now does, he, he, just, he just doesn't want to do those things. Fair enough. Okay, you should be able to choose what you're doing at your at his stage in life. However, he is employed to be the, the manager of a Premier League football club. And if you do not get results, win two games in 15, then you are going to get questions about what, not only your future, but the club's future because it's in danger. And I think that's legitimate. Maybe maybe I'm, it's, he, I should be more respectful and not ask him and he should have a free pass because he is of a, of a certain vintage. But I do think still that if you are going to be employed to be a manager, you have to be questioned. Uh, first of all, I'm a big fan of his and, and all the things you've said about his career are absolutely true. However, I used to cover Fulham a lot when he was there. I used to speak to him a lot in press conferences and generally he was you know, great to deal with, was lovely, would occasionally answer a question he wanted to answer rather than the one you'd asked. He had a very good way of deflecting that and doing that. He was exactly the same at West Brom. He used to cover West Brom a lot when he was there. I did a couple of games when he was the Liverpool manager and he was a totally different man. Mm. He was much, much spikier, under much, much more pressure, much more fractious, much more difficult to deal with. And I feel like there's an element of that now. 
And I think there are two things here. I think the first is his increasing disillusionment with the game as it is now and with the situation he's in. So I think that all feeds into it. I think the game is not what it was. And he's angry about VAR. He's angry about, you know, all, all kinds of things. He calls it the second referee. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and he's not happy with either, I don't think. No, um, he's not. <laughs> but look, I, th- I think this feeds into something we talked about last season on the pod. Uh, when Patrick Vieira was sacked and when they went for the comfort blanket of Roy Hodgson, we speculated, what is the plan here? I, I think we were kind of, we could understand why Vieira had gone because I think he'd run out of steam. I think there were problems behind the scenes. I don't think the dynamic between him and the players was right. And I understand why they made the change. However, bringing Roy Hodgson in just to make sure you're over the line is not a progressive move. Bringing any manager you've had before is not necessarily a progressive move, and often it doesn't work out. And you're absolutely right. It could have got to the summer and they'd said, well, we've identified this list of managers who we think can take us forward with a certain style in a certain way, who can help bring in you know, young, good young players. They didn't do that. And I think now they're kind of suffering as a result. Uh, and that's not a dig at Hodgson. I think it's a dig at the club for not having an overall plan and strategy of how you move forward. Yeah, I think that's the key thing is, is I think he's the public face of it and he is uh, having to suffer through this because they haven't put enough in place. I looked at the squad, but then I look at a lot of squads at this moment in time and I think they're light. And this takes me back to the PSR thing. You know, there's a lot of teams that have a good top level 11, 12, 13 players. And then when you go beyond that, you start to think, well, you scratch the surface here and there is, there's a, a dearth of, of, of a breadth of talent. There's not a breadth of talent like maybe there was a few years ago. So it's, it's a big drop off. And I think Crystal Palace is certainly in that position, especially you know, he keeps talking about bringing on these youngsters. Well, I've given these youngsters a chance again and look what happened. We ended up going from 2-0 down to 5-0 to down in double quick time. You know, Ultimately, he doesn't think they're good enough. You know, he won't say that, and he sort of alluded to it. But he not good enough, maybe might be the wrong words. It might be that they're not ready yet, or whatever. But they certainly aren't, because otherwise, he he would be playing them earlier. He hasn't started a single player under the age of twenty-one uh, this season. Um, just a quick word on on Arsenal, because we'd better move on, because there's still a lot to talk about. Arsenal, I thought um, particularly impressive on the counter attack once they went two 0 up. The goal that they scored, the third goal, which started from David Raya, was excellent in the in the fact that he sort of bowled it out so well and they, they did it. They still didn't really get out of second gear in the game, no. I don't think. You know, they were handed those two goals from the set pieces and then um, they just sort of built on that. They, they did well to do that. I thought they were much better in the second half than the first. Tony available, Tony starts and Tony captains the bees. Ivan is a big part of the team, big part of the club. He's been there for three and a half years. Uh, we all uh, love him, like him, care about him and then see him coming back. Here comes Tony! It had to be! Ivan Tony scores! It just had to be! Back after eight months and back with a bang! Tony is amongst the goals once again! That is genius yes, from Tony. I like it. I, I love that. Clever. Finding a way yes. to manipulate and get around the rules, the, rules, the yes. laws, whatever you want to call we, it. Every time you're on a pitch, it's showtime and we've done that. So I'm delighted that we've we done that and back to winning ways. Ivan Tony started and of course he had to be on the score sheet and he was thrilling game of football and it finishes Brentford 3 Nottingham Forest 2 Listen I think the, the crowd kept me going and uh, the fact that I was winning 3-2 
kept me going also to uh, to go over the line and win the game. But yeah, you just go out there, work as hard as you can, and work hard for the team, and hopefully we get three points, which we did, which we did today. Ivan Tony is back, Alex. Is it okay to uh, move shaving foam around <laughs> and take a free kick from where you like? Well, no, it isn't, clearly. And uh, if you did that when you're taking a corner and you move the, the ball out of the quadrant, then you would be asked to put it back again. And if you scored a goal from that, I'm sure VAR would have a look at it. So I understand Nuno Espirito Santo's frustrations. Like Gary Neville, I'm not necessarily a fan of clubs writing uh, to the PGMOL and, and complaining. I think we've got into that where there's a where there's a blame, there's a claim culture. I'm not sure. Again, you know, we spend far too much time talking about things like that and PSR and, and not actually focusing on the football. But having said that, they should still have defended the free kick a lot better than they did. So I think they've only yes. got themselves to blame in a certain area. It was a brilliant game, and I think the return of Ivan Tony is going to be that lightning rod that Brentford need to pull themselves clear of relegation danger. They definitely aren't going to sell him this window. They can't afford to. Yeah, talk to me about Nottingham Forest, Kev, because they are, I mean, dreadful away from home, aren't they? I mean, okay, they've had a couple of spurts. They beat Newcastle away and they beat Blackpool recently away from home, but their their away form is terrible. Yeah, it is. Uh, And I think actually that free kick is indicative of the kind of thing that happens to them because, yes, the referee should spot it. Yes, the referee should get him to move it back. But what are the Forest players doing? You know, they're organising the wall. At no stage have they even complained about yeah. him moving the ball. He does it That's three times. That's why I don't really understand. He moves it. Then second time, he's messing around with the shaving foam. And third time, he moves it again. What's the goalkeeper doing? At what stage has the goalkeeper gone? You know he's moving that ball, right? And he hasn't adjusted, <laughs> reacted, anything. So that kind of dumb goal is the kind of goal they're conceding time and time again. So... Yeah, it, it, it goes way before Nuno, and it's a big, big issue because if you're constantly leaking goals on the road, you're putting so much pressure on your home form, which has been very good in general for Forest since they've come back. But if that kind of sloppy performance continues, they're in trouble, no doubt. And and balls into the box causing them serious issues, set pieces, crosses yeah. into the box causing them issues. It happened against Blackpool in midweek where they they considered they were, they were two nil up in the game right and they ended up going to extra time because they they had two scenarios where chaos was caused by high balls into the box and that that cannot happen to a premier league team i know that they've got problems in their defence because of the afcon they've lost six players and yeah. their their defence is the area that has been affected the most but it's uh it's something that Nuno Espirito Santo has got to get to grips with very quickly because otherwise they're going to find themselves uh, heading towards that relegation zone. And they can't afford to get anywhere near it because at the end of the day, there's points deductions probably coming down the line. Good week for Brentford. They needed a victory. They'd only won one in the last 10 prior to that game. So Thomas Frank certainly needed that. Let's get to Sunday's action. And the leaders have stretched their advantage. If Arsenal's form has cooled, then Crystal Palace appeared to have frozen. One win in 11 games. The South London Massive are restless. It's Martinelli. It's 5-0. Crystal Palace collapse in stoppage time. There's only going to be one man who is going to take this free kick. Here comes Tony! 
It had to be! Ivan Tony scores! The whole of the GTEC Community Stadium are on their feet, chanting Ivan Tony's name. The full-time whistle, a five-goal thriller ends, Brentford three, Nottingham Forest two. Well, it's an incredible finish to the game. Uh, Sheffield United have a penalty in the 98th minute to rescue a point here. Bernie, right-footed, drills it into the bottom corner. Bedlam at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United two. West Ham United 2. Liverpool absolutely running riot here in the second half. Bournemouth nil, Liverpool 4, Nunez at the double. Liverpool go five points clear of Manchester City at the top of the Premier League. Look at Kev, he's trying to hide <laughs> the smile. You can see it, can't you? He's sitting there trying desperately not to show how happy he is that Liverpool won 4-0 at the weekend. Uh, they weren't great in the first half. They sort of no. huffed and puffed. Um, but they are a second-half team, Liverpool. If you could go back over the course of the season, they're very good at coming out of half-time, readjusting slightly and scoring goals. And boy, did they score goals in that second half, Kev. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked about Darwin Nunez recently and what he can bring. And I uh, I know I probably overestimate his abilities compared to others who underestimate them. But I think, again, you know, we've seen, you, Crook. We've, seen, <laughs> we've seen the kind of impact he can make. He's awkward. He's powerful. He's always trying to affect the game. And alongside Diogo Jota, looked very, very dangerous. I thought Gakpo, when he came on, looked really good. But you're absolutely right. In that first half, they had that, not lack of quality, but lack of quality moments in possession. The the right ball wasn't picked. All too often, they weren't bold enough. And they worked that out in the second half, made the change, moved Darwin Nunez into the centre, and that caused all kinds of problems. I thought Bournemouth lived with them in that first half, but... What Bournemouth do against big sides a lot of the time, they really make it difficult for them to play through. I thought Alexis McAllister was outrageously good. Uh, even in that first half when Liverpool weren't dominant per se, I thought he was his passing range in really difficult conditions as well. Uh, I thought it was outstanding. So really good win. I was worried about it ahead of the game. I thought that was going to be a real test. And the way Liverpool blew them away in the second half, I thought was absolutely outstanding. And Diogo Jota, uh, I think he's one of those players we always say is underrated before then saying how good he is. So mm. I don't know if that means he is underrated if we're always talking about how good he is. But I thought, again, he was terrific. He, he's so clinical in front of goal. Well, we mentioned on Thursday that he's probably the best finisher at the club. And he proved, I think, that yesterday, especially the second goal where he sort of loses it and then reacts and, and, and converts the chance before anybody could even get anywhere near him. Um did, did, did Jamie Carrier a little bit over the top, suggesting that he was almost as good as Robbie Fowler or comparing him to Robbie Fowler? Well, it's great company to be keeping. And it is, I'm isn't sure it? Jota will not be. Uh, Jamie, Jamie would know. Jamie's seen Robbie at, at close quarters and obviously is watching very closely Jota as well. Yeah, I, I can I can see where he's coming from. Um, I still think if you were picking a, a, an all-time Liverpool eleven, Fowler would be in it ahead of Jota. But maybe that is a reflection of the fact that Jota is an unsung hero in a very good Liverpool team. Whereas if you look at the teams that Robbie Fowler played in, he was quite often the star turn in teams that didn't achieve too much. So, mm. um, you know, I, I think that's what makes him such a cult hero. But 
I thought Jota, not just his finishing, I thought his movement, he's such a clever player, you know, and, and Kev's right, when they made that that change at half-time, that enabled Jota to get into those spaces where he could really exploit weaknesses in what was an injury-hit Bournemouth defence. We should remember that they had to change three of their back four. They lost Max Ahrens, who was almost in tears as well. So big defensive issues for them. But I was impressed with a couple of defensive players for Liverpool, actually. I thought Canate in the first half, yeah. when, they, when they were struggling to find any rhythm, really passed the ball out from the back very well and and got them on the front foot. I think it was his long ball, was it, that set up the, the first goal when Curtis Jones controlled yes. it so well. And also young Connor Bradley. Yeah, big shoes to fill. Trent Alexander-Arnold, such an important player, particularly that hybrid role that he plays. I thought Bradley looked like a seasoned professional on his full Premier League debut, and he very much deserved his assist. So lots of positives for Liverpool. They lacked rhythm in the first half. Jurgen Klopp admitted that. Maybe they were still on that desert beach somewhere. But in the second half, they, they really stretched their legs. And City have a game in hand, but psychologically, five points is a decent lead at this stage of the season. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Big game coming up for Liverpool is the match where Arsenal in two weeks' time, which will uh, tell us maybe a little bit more. Uh, they may have, may not have Mo Salah back in the building by then. He's certainly going to be back in the building because he's coming back because he's got a hamstring injury. The severity of that is unclear. Jurgen Klopp does say if they get to the final and he is fit, he will go back and play in it. But it does look like his AFCON is over, at least for now. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, how long they expect him to be out. We wish him all the best. Uh, Bournemouth's recent run of five, of, of, of former sort of, you know, gave them a little bit of hope going into the game. But actually, the injury is a real issue for them. And they didn't really create enough chances in the match either. Um, let's talk about Sheffield United against West Ham because it took him 31 appearances. But Maxwell Cornet has got his first goal for West Ham United. And it happened. About five minutes after I sent Alex Crook a text message, which said, <laughs> Jared Bowen should have passed to Corne there, but he looked up and realised it was Maxwell Corne. Brutal. <laughs> Brutal put down. But I, I get your point. I, I, I'm surprised that Corne has been so poor for West Ham because I really yeah. liked him uh, at Burnley. Um, I don't know if it's because he knows he's not really got the, the faith of his manager or it's because he's had a lot of injury issues since he was there, but... 
it's a long time to get off the mark, but the timing was brilliant with you. In fact, I saw both messages at the same time. Uh, <laughs> one minute you're slagging off, and then all of a sudden, you say, oh, good finish that, good finish. I didn't say that. Always knew that was a player. Because I watched it back a few times. It's not a good finish. I think he scuffed it, <laughs> which is why I think the goalkeeper ends up getting caught out of his near post. But, um, <laughs> but I did say, and now he's scored. <laughs> Uh, but there was last-minute chaos in this game, right? With two reds, Brewster and Sofal, uh, two penalty shouts, one given, one not. And David Moyes claiming, and this is what I wanted to ask you about, I did tee it up at the beginning of the podcast. David Moyes claims that we are accepting poor refereeing as the norm. Is he right, Kev? I think there are a lot of mistakes, I have to say. Um, and I think... They are exacerbated by having VAR because if you make the mistake and then VAR doesn't catch the mistake, I think it's a big problem. And I look at the Areola situation and, and that was what gave away the penalty. Um, I think Ollie McBurney fouls him. I know goalkeepers are a protected species. I get that. But he gets one full in the face. He's not able to challenge for the ball effectively because McBurney you know, effectively moves into him. Uh, how that's given as a penalty is beyond me. And I think having made that mistake, you're then hoping the VAR team say, look, I think you need to at least have another look at that just to sell the decision. Just at least have another look. It's a complex situation. Go and have another look. And I just think it's a bad decision, I have to say. So so, 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 so in that situation, the referee can only go to the monitor if he's told by the VAR that they think he's made a clear and obvious error, which is a problem, right? Yeah. Because that restricts their ability to send him for a second look, basically. If if you had a system where he t- could t- they could turn around and say, look, you might be right here, Sam. You might be right here, Michael, yeah. whatever his name is. But we think you should just have a quick look at it just to make sure that you're happy with your original yeah. decision. We, we can see that there, it might be perceived in both ways. So do you want to check it just in case? Instead, what they say is, well... We can see that there has been contact. And because there has been contact, the referee has not made a clear and obvious error. So we're going to leave it alone. Similarly, with the Bowen situation right at the very end, where basically, let's be honest with you, it's a WWE move from Ahmed Hodic. He, he literally suplexes him into the floor. Have that. Um, and all of a sudden, you, the, the referee, because he thinks he's seen a shirt pull from uh, Bowen, he thinks he's coming together. There's no clear evidence to overturn it. The game's finishing and no one, want, no one wants to intervene at that stage. That's a problem with the protocol, I think, that it hamstrings the VAR. Whether or not David Moyes is right that there's poor decisions, well, there, um, there has been a lot of poor decisions this season. I think we can all sort of agree on that. I, but I don't think that helps. Grug? No, I think you're right. Um, accepting of, of poor refereeing might be going a bit too far. I, I think more we've been retrained as to how we view the game now. There was an incident in the in the Bournemouth Liverpool match, which the television pundit said was a definite red card. Mm. Um challenge from Justin Cliver on Luis Diaz. It's high, it's on the ankle. But actually if you watch the replay, I think Diaz almost puts his foot there first to try and prod the ball away and that causes the connection. I don't think that's a red card. I think three or four years ago it wouldn't even been debated as a red card. But because of some of the decisions that we've seen this season the Curtis Jones ones, the Curtis Jones one, for example, in Liverpool's only defeated Spurs. We're now looking for those things and almost looking for reasons to send players off. And I don't think that's necessarily right. So 
if you look at a challenge like that in slow motion or you look at a still picture, you're going to say, oh, that's a red car, VAR, I've got, got to get involved. I actually felt in that case they got the on-field decision right. We're going to disagree on this one. I didn't think the Rian Brewster tackle was a red card. You'll say he's out of control. I'm not convinced that's a challenge that's going to endanger an opponent. And I didn't think it was a penalty. The, the Areola, I think it's both players competing for the ball. Areola's actually come away with a fat lip from that challenge yeah. having been caught by McBurney. Certainly, if you're not going to give the Inanna one on the first day of the season, you can't give that Areola one. So I think the inconsistency is the biggest issue. Is that down to poor refereeing or just muddled minds? I think it's probably the last. Yeah, I, 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 that's the other thing. And David Moyes sort of alluded to that in that he said, I don't know what they're going to do. When they blow the whistle, I don't know what they're going to do. You probably don't know what they're going to do. No one does. We're just waiting to see what could possibly happen. And I think, you know, there's a, you've come up with a couple of sort of disagreements with decisions there. I also think you've got, a, it's all right saying, I don't think. I don't think isn't really sort of sufficient because what you think is not relevant to the rule book. What does the rule book say? If you're if you're making your judgment based on what the the rule book says, that's all really you can judge a challenge by. You can be upset that the the game has changed, like Roy Hodgson, and be a cantankerous guy who who thinks that you know it's moved away from what it was. <laughs> We're often compared back in, back <laughs> in my day, um, but at the same time, it's you've got to judge a refereeing performance by the the the, the laws that he has been given to officiate, right? That that's got to be yeah. the case. So you you can't you can't say well I think it shouldn't be a red card because I believe that that is not a, a, a you know that that is a foul or that is a, just part of the game when I was playing. It's got to be well the laws of the game say this so this is what we have to sort of officiate it by. Um, but again, I don't think it helps that like you said the inconsistency. Kev? But so much of this could be fixed, right? If And I've thought this for a long, long time. And we see some of this on the continent. We see some of it in Germany. Referees will come out. They'll explain to the press why I've made a decision. Sometimes, amazingly, they'll come out and say, I got that totally wrong. And I'm so sorry, but I did. I should have gone. I should have been sent to the monitor or I should have made the right decision in the first place. So I apologize. That happens sometimes. I think as standard, a 10-minute interview with the referee after the game, you could have it as a Premier League thing. You could, you know, it doesn't have to be the press. It can be a kind of sanitised thing if you like. But if there were controversial decisions, the referee just lists them and explains what the thinking was. And then at least we know, and if fans want to go, oh, this is a disgrace, blah, 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 you refer to the referee and say, does it match up with the rule book? Does it match up with what he was supposed to do? And then you can judge him or her correctly. So I I don't know why that doesn't happen. I know Howard Webb does his show and the mic'd up thing and all that. Yeah, fine. Yeah, but it's not it's not very I, I like the show, I like the idea of it. And it's all right for me to sort of sit there and watch. But, it's but I step, do think right? I just think, yeah, it's a step in the right direction. But I think you're right. You need a sort of menu. You sort of almost need a little checkbox of someone going through each decision and saying, this is yeah. the, what the law says in this case, and this is why we're doing this. And it's an education process. But do you know what? Minutes. I'm sitting here listening to you, and I'm listening to what I say this all the time. I talk about it all the time. And I think, how much have we talked so much about stuff that's happening away from the actual game and the way the game is governed and refereed and officiated rather than the actual game itself? And I wonder if there's a couple of problems, and this is a further podcast thing, the game has moved on so much, so quickly. It's changed in terms of speed organisation. On, on the field, the coaching level has gone very high very quickly. I'm not necessarily sure the infrastructure around it has kept up. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and I think the whole attitude to the referee thing. Look, I, I, I'm a big, big advocate of referees. I've said on here numerous times, I'm really worried that we have a ticking time bomb in the game, that we're going to get to the stage where we don't have enough referees. And the ones we do have are not necessarily up to the level you require. I, I do think the whole thing about referees has to change in terms of how we view them, how it's framed, etc. However, they can help themselves by educating people, by being more transparent. Yes. It doesn't have to be this arcane, mysterious thing. They can come forward and say, 10 minutes, right, I made this decision because of this. I made this decision because of this. This is the protocol for this. And then at least we know why they've made that decision. There have to be, in a social media age, more on the front foot. Yes. I, mean, I think one of the problems yes. they've had is that when decisions have gone against them or they've made the wrong decisions... I think I feel almost feel they've sort of almost retracted into a us against them Always. scenario Always. rather than a let's just put it out there. People make mistakes. The best thing I ever had was uh, a chance just to speak to a referee who had made a mistake, a massive mistake in a massive Premier League game. And he came out and he was sort of talking to us about it. And he said, I did a really good game until that moment and I made a mistake and it haunted me the whole night and I couldn't yeah. get it out of my head and blah. It, it, it sort of followed me around for a couple of weeks. I'm usually good in those situations. On that moment, this had happened, which influenced my decision-making in that particular scenario. And then this occurred from it and it was a big match-changing decision and I got it wrong. And I just thought afterwards, that's why you're one of the better ones because you owning you're owning that situation. Was that off the record, Sam? That it chat. Was, I can't talk about it. No, no, no. But what what my my point is, if that had been on the record, how brilliant would that have been? Agreed. Genuinely, Agreed. how yes. brilliant would yes. that have been? Yes. Because, but that comes down to to the way they PR themselves, the PGMOL, yes. because everything appears to be off the record. What? Why is it all off the record? Why does it have to be so clandestine? Mm. They need to be more open. They need to be more transparent, which actually were two of the things that Hal Webb promised when he came in. I'm not convinced that television programme and Michael Owen, when clearly, you know, the running order is, is pre-planned, it doesn't go far enough. Um, the running order, you talked about running orders being pre-planned. We pre-planned the running order. We haven't got through half of what we're supposed to get through uh, because we've been uh, far too interested <laughs> in other things. So uh, we'll have to forget about the Carabao Cup semi-finals. They are live on TalkSport. And then we've got FA Cup action as well, which we'll look forward to on our Thursday podcast. Crookie, thank you very much. Cheers. It's kept no, going he's, already. He's still here. You just got very <laughs> bad internet. And one of the things that if anyone's watching this, this this program, we've had to stop and start 500 times because Crook, it, you know, we know he's like an 80s guy, right? We know he's like, uh, you he's know, down the pub every night. He goes and plays in the pool club. You know, occasionally, uh, you know, he drives his Cortina around the corner to the snooker club uh, and has a game of golf with the lads every Thursday. <laughs> However... However, his internet also is from the 80s, so we have to put up with him sort of disappearing halfway through podcasts or whatever. So if you ever sort of see this on YouTube and there's a still image of Crook looking like uh, Mickey from Only Fools and Horses, uh, then th th that's the reason. Um, okay, Kev, thank you very much. Alex, thank, thank you. you very much. The Premier League All Access podcast from TalkSport is back on Thursday. Thank you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.